This week's episode is brought to you by the trainers that Jared Bednar hasn't talked to. Safe to say, this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. As McCarr jumps in, moves it and shoots back! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for November 25th, 2019. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche started four different goaltenders on the Western Canada Death March, and somehow survived. We'll look at how and what comes next, but before we play the whoosh, let's introduce the Disembodied Voices of the Week. They're the same, as one, same ones they've been for several weeks running now. Say hello to Earl. Hello, friends. Say hello to Rudo. Yo, yo. And say hello to Jackie. Hola. Let it go out of order today. Just kind of screw everybody up. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving this week to our lead listeners in the U.S. and to our Canadian audience. Happy Thursday. Since the last episode, Colorado has had an absolute rash of injuries, both freak ones and dirty hits. Ones we saw, ones we didn't see. So just to throw it back a little bit, the three games prior to our last show saw the Avs lose Philip Grubauer, Nikita Zadorov, and Pierre-Edouard Belmar. We, go, we pick up the action 30 seconds into the game last Tuesday, Colorado starts their road trip in Winnipeg, and Mark Shifley gets knocked off center by Sam Gerrard just enough that he can't help running over and through Pablo Francois and net. Say hello to your backup, Adam Werner. But it's fine. He only stopped all 40 shots he faced as the Avs win 4-0, and while that sounds like a lot of run support for your third goaltender, three of those came in the third period, so well done there. Kale McCarr gets one, Nathan McKinnon gets two, and Jonas Donskoy adds a fourth. But that was the end of the party for Werner, whose next appointment was uh, Connor McDavid. Oh boy. Andre Burakovsky. Yeah, I was saying that, right? Potted two, but that's all the Avs could muster against a six-spot Edmonton put up. McDavid got a point on all of those. Four of the six came on the power play. Turns out, goaltending matters. Pretty crazy stuff. Antoine Bibo did come in on relief for this game, but it didn't matter. The Avs were already out of it. We found out later that Tyson Jost got injured late in the game, too. Like, I didn't see anything. Did y'all see anything? I think it's... Wasn't that when he hit his face on... Yeah, yeah he took he, something to the nose. Goaltender. He took like the he, whole goalie's mask to his face and didn't miss a shift. I mean, when you have a broken nose like that, they can kind of start getting screwed up after the fact. Yeah, because he was hurt. In the Winnipeg game, that that was the one where he hurt his nose. Then he played in Edmonton, his hometown, ah. and then he was gone. I had to squeeze some tears out of Grandpa Jost. Sure. <laughs> there we, we had some then, confusion there. There you go. Figured it and out. And then now it seems like but it could have been something stuff. else. That 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 was when he messed up his nose. If it was something else, then you know we didn't see it in the Edmonton game. It also seems he has some other upper body issue. Is this going to be a thing? The the late fall, early winter Tyson Jost upper body injury? I mean, how many abs? Like, not just the ones on the IR. There are multiple guys playing through stuff, too, right now. So I think it's just the avalanche have an upper body injury at the moment. Some of them have a lower body injury. That's just the bottom half of the upper body, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> How about an all-body injury? General body soreness. They've definitely have announced body injuries in the playoffs before. Like I, That has definitely happened 100%. Yeah. This player is injured on the body. 
So, I mean, I don't know how much you can really take away from either of those two first games, because Winnipeg honestly just looked like shit. And Edmonton just roasted a fourth-string goalie, because it's Connor McDavid, and he can do that. The penalty kill was pretty bad in that game, too. I mean... Yeah, they were awful. It, it McDavid scored six points on you. Okay, you got beat by a generational player. My takeaway there is that, oh... Andre Burakovsky is all right on the top line. Yeah, if you actually leave him there. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Because yeah. he's actually a wing. He sure is. What What you wouldn't want to it... do is find a winger that works with your top center and replace him with a center. Who doesn't want to be there. So, anyway, Bebo gets the start the following Saturday in Vancouver, where... Everyone knows what happened. Everyone across the entire NHL knows what happened. Kale McCarr gets a four-point night on the opposite side of the ice of Quinn Hughes. Oh, you, you mean, right, this is the game where with a late 4-2 lead, Matt Calvert blocked a shot point-blank with the side of his head and laid on the ice, doubled over, tried to get up, failed, for fully 17 seconds before Vancouver scored. Play stops for an injury when your team touches the puck, but refs are specifically empowered to stop play when there's a serious injury. Colorado blew the lead on the back of this, but McKinnon grabs the second goal of the night on overtime's first shift so we can all get back to checking on Calvert. Pals, what the hell is a serious injury, then? Yeah. yeah. I mean, with Zadorov having basically the same issue a week earlier, you really have to wonder. It's like, you know, a, a guy takes a puck to the head and it's okay to just keep on playing. I mean, it, it's not like they took a soccer ball to the head, either. I mean, this is, you know, bad stuff. Broken jaw requiring surgery. Calvert still out with a concussion. Um, no, There's that, no the refs excuse. Pretty much blew it. It's unacceptable in in every way that that they allowed that play to continue. The rule is written specifically so the ref can blow the play dead, and you're staring at that and saying, "This is exactly what the rule was written for," and they're not using it for it. <laughs> if they're not willing to do it, then then the rule needs to change. It's simple as that. Hey guys, I just got an email. Rosen got called up. Yay! Well, we're going to get to that for sure. Um, Is anybody down? Like, is there an injury you don't know of? No. The injury is to the Avalanche's defense's pride. (laughs) They're calling up someone without an injury? (laughs) Holy crap, that doesn't happen. uh, EJ could could be be EJ. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. He did take like a, a couple of rough ones last night. I mean, it's also interesting that they would call him up now and not, you know. Yeah, that's an aggressive call up, considering they have three <laughs> days off for this team. Yeah, that tells me they want to play him. Well, let's let's hold on this. We'll get to it. Okay. Um, Callie Rosen called up. We'll add that to the list. Um, this was the absolutely the Kale McCarr show until it wasn't in Vancouver. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. But this was something I was really looking forward to the the McCarr versus Hughes hype, which you know looks like it, it could be the battle for the Calder at least early in this season. And uh, you know, game set and match to McCarr for right now. Yeah, there's and that no... wasn't even his best game of the week. <laughs> the uh, the only way McCarr doesn't win the Calder is if he gets hurt at this point, like. 
all he has to do is show up for games, and he'll the Calder is his. Yeah. I mean, the, the gap in points is is massive. I, I haven't looked at it this morning, but it, it was eight points last time I looked. That's about fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty large. <clears throat> so shout out to Bebo for getting that win against the Canucks. Um, but we are all glad to see Grubauer back in net on Tuesday in Calgary. Avs win three two in a game that wasn't that close. Calgary took a bunch of shots from everywhere. Maybe because they hadn't had any goals in like three games. Burakovsky grabs two more. That gives him ten on the season. And Vlad Kamenev gets his first of the season too. So, Flames killer, I guess. Man, Calgary are in trouble, aren't they? They sure are. They looked really bad. Especially for the first two periods. Maybe the last ten minutes. They finally got it together, but it was just too late. Yeah, I mean, that was score effect city. They just, um... Uh, they they really look like they have a lot of questions and not too many answers right now. Yeah, their They're... skill guys aren't noticeable. I didn't even notice Kachuk at all. The only time I ever noticed Gaudreau was when Zadorov was beating him up. <laughs> yeah, Zadorov absolutely erased Johnny Gaudreau when they were on the ice together, which wasn't even that much. A, a team that gets a bunch of career years and looks super hot and then gets bounced in the first round. I think we've all heard that story before. Wait, 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 wait. And it's, yeah. I don't know, because the last time <laughs> that happened that we saw it, the team went and added a bunch of, like, gritty veterans. And that doesn't seem like the kind of thing a team would do in 2019. Yeah, <laughs> you know, who would who would want to add a Milan Lucic? I don't know. That's what <laughs> hockey geniuses do, though. You and then put that. them on their first power play. <laughs> and then you're in the Calgary zone again. What do you know? Yeah, they they are sitting on the second worst goal differential in the Western Conference. Only beaten in that respect by the Los Angeles Kings, who have played three fewer games. Yikes. And the Kings are, like, barely a hockey team. <laughs> Yeah, they're not even trying to be good. <laughs> Although I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it like this: LA's minus nineteen is still nothing on New Jersey's minus twenty-two, or Detroit's minus thirty-seven. Oof. Now that team's tanking. That's rough. <laughs> that is yikes. Um, but th- this game was was good. Damn solid. It was I, good. I I like the result. I I don't know it. it it was a midweek game for me, so I was kind of tired, but I, I thought it was kind of snoozy. Um, it was, but... Andre Burakovsky's shooting wasn't snoozy. I don't no, know. it sure wasn't. It was one that got a little bit more, more interesting than maybe it needed to at the end. Also I think, true. I think it's a, team, it's a game that a good team wins because it's a boring midweek snooze fest on the road, and you just get the job done and you get out of there. And, that's and it, it's did. tough because it's tough for Calgary. Cause the narrative coming in is they hadn't scored in five on five in over three games, I think, and hadn't scored at all in two games. And so they're, you know, they're really gunning to come out and they didn't answer the bell. So that, that's just, you know, the mark of a team that's really in flux. So shout out to Calgary and the Calgary zone. Who Calgary seems just seems to occupy. 
Um, on Thursday, the Avs limped into Minnesota to finish off the road trip, and that's pretty much where fun goes to die. You could tell there was nothing left in the tank. Except for Kale McCarr, who got his 6th and 7th goals, because this is Kale McCarr's world, and we all just live in it. But Minnesota get a late-game winner off some magic bullshit where Grubauer seemed to lose track of the puck after he made a save. This game was awful, except for McCarr, who was terrific. Any other raise? Yeah, that was a fantastic six minutes, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It it was. It would have been a really, really bad game. It would have been one of those that's over after five or ten minutes, but McCarr just totally changed the game. It, It was incredible what he did. I mean, he put Minnesota on a poster with that second goal. That stuff was just filth. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota lucked out in that game, and they, to their credit, they they did play better than the Avs, especially in like the the second half of the first period and <clears throat> drawing some calls. And they right. have a good yeah. home record. I think they were at four one and one before that game at home. So, so in basketball. They, over the past couple of years, have changed the way the schedule works because the Nuggets used to get a big advantage because teams would go on their West Coast road trip and then play the Nuggets on the way out when they're exhausted on the way back. Same thing happened here with the Avs going into Minnesota. Well, that's what I said on our last show, that I hate how they just decide to, oh, let's tack on a division game at the end of this. That's what they did with the St. Louis game. That's what they did here. You, You can see it coming, and it's like... You know what's going to happen. It's I mean, just they had a, bad. They had a day off before it. I, I mean, I'll we'll bring this up later on in the show. But the fact that they were tired has some pretty obvious answers. I mean, sure. If this is a healthy Avs team, that Minnesota team is pretty much terrible, and they probably win anyway. But they're not healthy, and so they had to deal with an exhausted team with nothing really left in the tank, and Minnesota just mucked it up and locked it down besides Kale McCarr. If it weren't for Kale McCarr, we would have not said anything about this game. We would have said, that was bad, and gone on to the next one. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much, yep. Because <laughs> I was ready to write that one off after about 12 minutes. I, I started making a This Game Sucks doodle. And I finished it right before Kale went off. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it's going to get better. But I was fucking wrong. Because I just I hate the cruelty of that winning goal. Yeah, uh, that's just you just you don't want to lose a game on a goofy play like that. Like What even happened? Like, it... God, I still don't know. <laughs> I, I'm still like 50 to 60 percent sure that Grubauer thought it went in. Yeah, like he didn't think he had it, so he just stood up and was like, "Darn!" And then the puck was sitting there. I mean, that's the kind yeah. of reaction he had, but he's on the road. There wasn't a goal horn. It's, a, it's almost like he thought it was it went out of play or something because he didn't know where it was. I don't know. Yeah, that, that, that my thought was that either, he either thought it was in the net or it was deflected into the screen or something like that. It was gone. just so painful too because then he panics and Gerard is like coming in to try and knock it loose and he perfectly blocks Gerard's stick with his skate and it's like oh god <laughs> just some real clown shoes i mean sometimes it's just ma- you you sometimes you earn magic bullshit against you and that's what happened in this game cuz Colorado looked like absolute garbage in the first period and came out of it 0-0 because Philip Grubauer stood on his head 
Didn't they have a couple fruitless power plays before that? The Wild if did. I'm remembering correct. I mean, uh, they have, I, they have they, defenses. They have only had two power plays so. in their second half of the game. McCarr's first was on the first power play. Yeah, yeah, I know that. But I, I just mean they had their chance to take that game. That's I mean, they were one like... for two in the power play. It's hard to ask more than that. 50% is pretty good. It is. Okay, maybe it wasn't the power play. I remember they had chances before that. It just seemed like they had their chances to take that game, but... It was an oh well game. Yeah, they they only had those chances in the first place because of Grubauer's first period. So despite losing in consecutive games and getting some of them back, of course, Grubauer, Zadorov, Belmar, Francois, Jost, and Calvert, when they are already short Miko and Landeskog, and also Colin Wilson, but you kind of expect to see it, Colorado brought home a 3-2 and record from the trip. That's good by me. Is that good by you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think with the injury record they have uh the goalie situation they went through you know, they got wins out of their third and fourth string goaltenders so no, we, you, you got to take that and smile and we talked about on the last show that it's usually a pretty tough road trip for them to go on this western canada swing and it was a long one there was a lot of days off in between and so they were on the road a really long time yeah. So yeah, you can't you can't be anything but happy with two three and two. Yeah. It's they've done everything they needed to do to this point. We'll get to the Toronto game as well, but they've made it to the three day break now, and they should be getting healthy off the back of this, or at least more healthy. The fact that they've kept themselves afloat is all they needed to really do. Yeah, let's go ahead and get to that, because finally, on Saturday, the Toronto fucking Maple Leafs spend all season riding the struggle bus, and they see Colorado on the schedule, and what do they do? They fire Mike Babcock. And the players, yep. like they've spent all season shackled at the knee and can finally skate freely, absolutely demolished the Arizona Coyotes as a turn-up, and then came to Denver and did the same thing to the Avs. 4-1 the score after one. One of the four yeah. belonged to Tyson Berry on the power play. And Colorado's one was a low goal. Four goals on 15 shots was enough for Bednar, regardless of how dangerous they were, and they were dangerous. Grubauer gets yanked, and in comes Pablo Francois, and he's up to the, t to the task the rest of the way. Uh, Toronto coasted in the second, and Colorado took advantage. Your final score here is 5-3 with an empty netter, including a goal by Valerie Nachushkin? That did happen. It right? happened. Yeah. No hallucination? Never doubt Vegas odds makers again. That was spooky. <laughs> he scored oh, that I'm... goal, and I really thought, okay, maybe this is going to happen. <laughs> it didn't happen, <laughs> but I thought maybe. It's just so frustrating that it was the second Mike Babcock got fired, the entire Avs fan base was, well, Tyson Berry's going off against the Avs now. And then what happened? Sure enough, he gets two points, including, I guess that was the third goal, so not the game winner, but like everyone on the planet could see that Mike Babcock was ruining Tyson Berry, and it was gonna just completely flip around once he was out of there. And of course, Babcock couldn't stick around for two more games, but it is I what it is. 
See, I was expecting something sort of like the Blues last year when they got rid of Yo and, and put in Greg, Craig Berube. It took them a fair amount of time, and they, yeah, they got the even Blues worse. Blues good. This Toronto team has way too much offensive talent if you just cut them loose. Right. Well, I, it just, you know, they needed a new system in St. Louis, and, <clears throat> and that's, Craig, you know, and that turns out Benning, not to be the case in Toronto. All, all they needed to do in Toronto was sort of let their players play, and they were fine. So, um, and with Babcock, Barry wouldn't have been on that power play, but if he was, he, he would have scored anyway because he was so damn wide open. Yeah, that was a mess. That was like the penalty kill forgot they were on a penalty kill. Yeah, the Avs do that a lot. If you enter the Avs up the boards and you can maintain possession, they always overload the puck side and try to force a turnover. So that back door is always wide open. Yeah. Swarmarama. And and their defenders aren't exactly fast enough to get back and cover that back door. Except for the ones who don't kill penalties. It's not even about covering the back door. Like, if you're going to go with that system and you aren't able to turn the puck over, you need to be sitting in the passing lanes. And the Avs have really, really struggled with managing their positioning in the defensive zone. Well, the thing is, it's like if you have three guys in the center, you can shut down the Royal Road, theoretically. If you have two, if you have two guys aggressively on the puck and only two guys in the middle, then the Royal Road... It might be open. I mean, even in that goal, like Eric Johnson is in that passing lane, and Nylander says, I don't care, and it gets it right to Tyson Perry anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's true, especially against good offensive teams like Toronto. People know how to sauce pass in the NHL, it turns out. At least Kadri had two points in this, so we'll have to settle on the rematch. Yeah, yeah that was a tragic... Stuff penalty though it sure was the first two stars of the game tyson barry nazem kadri that's just like are you serious you cannot be serious right now yeah kadri's penalty was both brain dead and really that you're calling that yeah i mean it's just tough because all right nichushkin scores for the first time in forever everyone's just stoked you're within a goal there's plenty of time left and then that happened and that's just that really took the wind out of the sails like you're right you Kadri just can't do that i mean that's the most obvious holding penalty in the world when you grab the jersey like that but you could do just about anything to anyone in this game with your stick and they wouldn't call it so I mean, it's a tough line to draw. He got like a, yeah. he didn't even get a full handful. He got like a half a handful of Morgan Riley's jersey. You're telling me that impedes an NHL player? In the third period of a one goal game. Yeah, I mean, come on. That's you know, that that's where I had the problem with the game management there. That wasn't game management. That was you know, that that was cooling off a team that was about to make things interesting. Yeah, and they already had made things interesting. And that then... mean uh, this team is, it's weird to say, because I know all the metrics don't point at this, but they've been unlucky. They have 28 yeah. posts in 23 games this season. They're not getting bounces on the offensive side, and part of that is because they don't have the skill to capitalize on them right now with all the injuries, but 
a bounce here, a bounce there, and this team easily could have been four and two or five and one over these last six games. Yeah, and a lot of people talk about the PDO bubble, and for me, that's tough because that's you're basically saying that shooting percentage causes goals there, and with the Avs, it's it's really kind of the other way around. They score a lot, and that's why they have a good shooting percentage. They're tough. Uh, all their top forwards, though, are pretty darn high on shooting percentage. McKinnon's less than 7% at 5v5, so, you know, he's not that lucky. Yeah, Burrow, though. He just shoots a lot. Probably, McK- yeah, probably not McKinnon. Like, he's raised his shooting percentage the last couple of years. But when you look at the others, yeah, Burakovsky, I think Don Skoy, all the, yeah. all the ones that have been scoring are pretty high. Yeah, no, all those um, all those guys definitely are rocking a, a pretty high per- shooting percentage. And Belmar is, I think he's like 15% too. Um, but when you look at Mac only being like 6.9%. Nice. Um, right. It's going to even out. Burakovsky will go like, down, but Mac will go up. <laughs> right. He's like, what, 12 or 13 overall, though. He's not Career, at. Yeah. No, so, I mean for this year. I don't mean just 5v5. Like. 5v5, they have the best goal for percentage in the league, don't they? Or the second best now? Yeah. Something like that. I would, so... I would really like to forcefully move us away from this direction because stats make for a boring podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I would like to just mention that I, I think there's a big flaw in PDO, and that's that it takes absolutely no account for shooting talent at all. Yeah. Well, that's or goalie talent. One. I mean, Grubauer is a good goalie. That's part of why the like, save percentage is high, too. I mean, that happens. Well, like it, It's an indicator, right? Like, it's saying, hey, maybe there's something to look at here, but if we had an adjusted PDO that took into account the like the career shooting percentage of the people taking the shots and adjusted yeah. it that way, then, then maybe we could get something more accurate. I mean, because as it is, a team that has good scorers and gives them the puck is going to have a high shooting percentage. There you go. Maybe the abs are just good. I yeah. mean... Yeah, it's not like good teams don't end up with high PDOs at the end of the year either. I mean, that's just, you know, it's like your best teams are going to have your best PDOs because yeah, it just shows that they're playing well. Similarly, if your goaltender is Martin Jones, you're going to have a bad PDO. Oof! <laughs> Shout out to the Sharks, who are right back on the struggle bus this season. Um, <clears throat> so, let's go ahead and talk about the Defenders. Um, first, let's have some fun, though, and talk about Kale McCarr being a goddamn boss. Has this ever happened? Like, I don't think Kale McCarr will win the Norris. One, because John Carlson is broken. But two, because he'll fall off, almost certainly. But I cannot remember in my lifetime a rookie coming into the league and not only blowing the Calder out of the water, but you're talking about this guy as potentially the best player at his position already. I can't. No, I I can't remember any rookie that was in serious conversation for a major award. Yeah, like I remember Gostas Bear a couple of years ago. It's like he was, you know, he was shooting real well. He was scoring a lot and things like that. But it was nothing close to this. I mean, we're talking like, uh, like the names that come to mind for me are Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin. And it's harder for forwards, of course, because their conversation is going to be the Hart Trophy and Tamil Salani. And, and that's that's going to be real tough to get into that conversation, even with the the rookie years they had. Like Panarin had a really good rookie year too. 
But I guess it's different because Makar being a defenseman where he's not going to have to score like 100 to get into that conversation. But it'd be cool if he did. (laughs) I I wouldn't say no. I I wouldn't say no. Would you say no? I wouldn't say no. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost good that Carlson's just off in the distance like that because... It, it, it sort of takes away from the hype because there's there's really no shot at winning the Norris, you know, when Carlson's having a season like that. So, you know, it allows us to sort of focus on on the Calder and, and just enjoying a great season by a, a young player. And it's not just us saying this either. Um, like you you see people with national focus, like. I mean, you know, Ryan Lambert, he's having, probably having a giggle regardless of what he says. But I mean, you even see Pierre Lebrun throw the Norris word around. Like, yeah. is he going to win it this season? No. He might be a finalist if this doesn't stop. But if he was top five in voting at the end of the year, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment for a rookie defenseman. I would, Definitely. I would encourage the historians among us to tweet at Burgundy Radio when the last time and a rookie defender was a finalist for the Norris. The other thing is Makar has no penalty minutes. He could Lady Bing, baby. (laughs) Running for the Lady Bing. (laughs) We better hope he doesn't play the puck with a broken stick in game 80. (laughs) Masterton Trophy. Also, Makar's just going to bring home all the hardware. (laughs) Masterton for overcoming the adversity of playing at UMass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> One thing I wanted to get your guys' opinion on is with all the injuries they've had, you know, they've kind of had to rely on Makar stepping up maybe perhaps sooner than we expected. Um, as far as sort of a, a first year and maybe even a career, how is this sort of a, a help to him getting off to a start like this? It's a help to him because he understands that he can carry an NHL team's entire defensive core already. And we see that in his confidence. You saw it after the stupid, stupid, stupid goal against Minnesota where he turns back to the team and kind of just shrugs his shoulder and is like, yeah, I guess I can do this now. (laughs) (laughs) And refuses to talk about it after the game and tries to give his first goal to Jonas Donskoy. I mean, most clubs are very loath to give a lot of responsibility to a rookie defenseman, and the Avs even more so than average. So, you know, this isn't the kind of responsibility that normally we would expect, um, you know, a guy like Makar to come in and, and get in his first year with the Avs. So I, I think forcing the staff to really rely on him, and he passed with flying colors, has, has really allowed him to be more than he probably would be at this point without the injuries. Which is why even if he goes cold at some point, he's just he's still going to have the minutes. He's still going to be used the in trust. all the situations. Like, last right. night, he played over 27 minutes in regulation. In a regulation game. Like, it was almost 28. The I would like that to slow down. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. Well, you're gonna hit that wall like him. a freight train if you keep up at that rate. But. You don't want anyone to play that many minutes, but just the fact that goes to what you're saying that the trust, but also the belief that he is a difference maker, or maybe even the difference maker. Whoa. And that's 
the point that I want to make is like the points are fun and the points are what's yeah. going to win him the the trophies and all. But for me, what makes me feel like he's a seriously a special player and so excited is the way it seems like he can elevate his game when he wants to. He he has an extra gear that when he really wants to flip the switch and just completely take over game, he can do it. It's for the av side of things, it's the defense. It's going to fly under the radar, but he's been very, very solid defensively as well. And that's how you earn trust in most organizations, and especially the Avs one, is if you can take care of your own end first, and he can. No one's going to talk about it because he does things on the offensive side, but watch him get back. Watch him cover a passing lane, and he's as good as anyone else on the Avs on that side. These are the same yeah. kind of conversations we had about Eric Carlson for several seasons before people started to understand that no he's not bad defensively just because he plays offense stop it yeah as long as nobody steps on Makar's achilles we're good oh, i don't think cook's still in the league so i think we're fine it's just still funny the perception out there is if the d can score a lot of points he probably should be a forward and it's like <laughs> that's dumb people don't that. appreciate that it makes him an even better player that he can score like that and still be a real defenseman well the incredible thing for me is that he actually does play like a forward when he's down near the net and even really good defensemen they get near the net and they don't play like forwards it's it's very tough to sort of switch modes like that and it's just something you don't learn when you're a defenseman growing up and McCarr, when he is sort of in the slot area or below the circles. I mean, he he tracks through the offensive zone like a forward. His vision is like a forward. Um, you know, he reminds me a lot of Hey Duke when he's close to the net. Just the, that right-handed shot and the way he sees sort of the play develop and things like that. Um, <clears throat> and that's a, that's a huge gift because, I mean, being good at one position... Is hard enough, but to be able to play forward as a defenseman like that, and I'm not saying he should go be a forward or anything, but it's just like... But it's like he's a true hybrid in a way. Yeah. Like what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but yeah, playing him in a forward would be a sin against the neutral zone. It'd be dumb as all get (laughs) up, yeah. Yeah. It's just a comparison. I mean, it's not like we're going to try to flex him like he's like Brent Burns or Dustin Bufflin or anything crazy like that. Um... Because I I definitely agree with this comparison a lot, because even with defenders who are decent in the offensive zone, like, say what you want about the last few games from Ian Cole, he's not bad on the offensive zone. But you, he's you, not. Get, you get him below the top of the circle, and it's a slap shot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the instincts, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what your instinct should be as a defenseman, it, you know. It, it's very daring to play the way McCarr does below the circles. Um, and he pulls it off. So, when also I mean, the, the, the skating, yeah, you know, the fact the that he's the fastest and... D in the league. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to have him play as a forward three shifts a game, and I don't mean positionally; I mean just sort of with the mentality like that. Um, that just make that that just leverages your offense incredibly. Right, it's such a competitive advantage. His uh. His his play of the back end has been absolutely game changing. Um, Stralacraft coffee. 
I was going to say, it's an independent <laughs> and unsponsored podcast. Thank you for sponsoring us. Because the, the other defenders are also changing the game. And, I guess, yeah. And, and this is going to be kind of our, our main focus for for this show, is the what's what the hell's going on with the team defense? It's awful. It's just so bad. I, I think there's some coaching effects, and some of it's usage, some of it is technique and tactics. Well, let's, let's start with who's on the ice. So those of you who remember such things better than me, let's talk about who was called up in the last couple of weeks. Well, they had Kevin Connaughton come up. Hey, and... I forgot about that played against Edmonton and definitely not saying that he was the fault for that Edmonton game, but he just predictably showed that he's not good. And yeah. And um, I think what was the most disappointing part of his call up was, and we, we would have expected the beginning of the year because of the salary and the trade and everything but he was he's just performed so poorly for the Eagles that it's just ridiculous that he was the first extra defenseman that they called up. Then not only did they have him sitting around, they decided to play him in a game, maybe arriving at the idea that they needed more defense against Edmonton, which which is true. Pro, pro, yeah, probably a good idea, but the to arrive at the thought that Connaughton was going to help you in that area was not not the right decision. Well, I mean that what what the scouts were looking at was his last year in Arizona, who was you know they're a very defensively sound team, and and he fit into their system okay, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't really remember him playing for him, so I can't really say. But you know, he was a defensive guy more or less for Arizona last year. They saw that, they liked it, they brought him in to be that. But that's not who he is. He's he's more of an offensive guy. If you look at him play for the Eagles, he's down below the circles all the time. Yeah, let Arizona. That's, <laughs> I mean, if that's really what they saw, that's really disappointing scouting because it's very yeah. obvious in Arizona that that is like seventy-five percent plus just their systems. Exactly. It's like they had him on the PK for one year, so that makes him a defensive specialist, right? And I, I honestly think that's why the Avs targeted him. If if, if that's what actually happened. Um, but the fact is, is you know, he was a very offensive player when he was with the Vancouver Giants. He was offensive when he played for Ottawa. Um, you know, that that's sort of his gig. And he, you know, he's not terrible at it. But defensively, he's just not very good, even in the AHL. So, And I'd say there's definitely some effort concerns with him in the AHL. And so it was just so disappointing that. Nobody it, cares about those kind of things. It did feel eerily similar to last year when the Avs said, okay, we'll try Mark Alt and Anton Lindholm before Ryan Graves. And it was just like, why? Why are we doing this? <laughs> why are we and going those, through the those motions? Those two might be bad, but at least they don't have effort concerns. Well, and, speak and... for yourself on Lindholm. Yeah. I, I totally agree with calling Mark Alt up because if you're going to make a guy your captain on of your AHL squad, I, I think it's I think it's righteous to call a guy like the, that up early in the season for a game or two. Um, you know that's what that's what every player wants when they sign a contract with an NHL team, even if they know they're going to be the captain of the AHL squad. 
You know, they they want to get some time with the big club, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I think the money they signed for is their reward, but that's just me. <laughs> I mean, give a guy a game in game 82 after you've clinched or something. Then <laughs> you don't need to use them when you need Ws. <laughs> <laughs> So Kevin Kenaughton got his game, and uh, it was... And hopefully that's it, yeah. It, 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 it <laughs> was what it was, but otherwise the defenders have been pretty much healthy. Zadorov only missed like a week with his broken jaw. Hey, what was it, three games? Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know it was nine days, but, you know. And, and he He's... was talking to Mosier before the game last night, and you look at... I mean, his face looks fine, more or less. A little, little puffy like Popeye, but still, I mean... He said he, he, he said he would have played sooner if they hadn't put him on IR. Yeah, the seven-day rule <laughs> held him back. And that's pretty common with jaw injuries. Like, the fact that he didn't fracture an orbital or something, you know, you can play through that. Yeah, that but... he wasn't concussed on the play. Yeah. And that he could still eat. He didn't have it wired shut or whatever. So I'm sure that was helpful, but... I think he definitely put in effort to try and get back because he was on the ice, what, like three days after surgery is good for him at least. Well, you don't, yeah. you don't skate with your face. <laughs> and, like, he does, if I'm yeah. being honest, the defenseman I've been least disappointed in outside of Makar through this stretch is Zadorov. Yeah, same. And he was rewarded with, with moving up to playing with Makar last night. Um, and then maybe that was something that the Avs were, you know, they were getting tired of. Cold maybe they should because they they Graves are up there. Graves. Yeah, yeah, Graves. I mean, Graves was okay for a couple games with Makar, but there's just you no, know it's, it's limited. They don't want to play him as much as they want to play Makar, and then Zdorov can play more minutes. So yeah, the style time to fit. stop with Graves. It's just time to stop. The style fit might be decent with Makar, but yeah, you can't play him that much. He's right. so obviously been exposed time and time again on the defensive end. And this is exactly what I think all of us, Earl, me and TV, were talking about, where it's like he's been getting away with a lot in the NHL, and he has to be sheltered to continue that. He's fine as a bottom pair guy. It's just leaking there. Yeah, and he's decent on the penalty kill. I went through some penalty kill numbers today, and it... Yeah, I absolutely think he's earned his NHL spot, but if you're going to try and play him bigger minutes, he's going to get burned regularly. Yeah. Where do you rate him versus the recently departed Patrick Nemeth? Worse. So Uh, that's a downgrade. It's it's tough. There there are things I like about Graves' game. Yeah. Like, like Nemeth had such a plotting style. I mean, he was steady, but there there was no creativity in his game. And at least Graves is actually a smart player. Uh, I think his feet are just slow enough that, that he can't execute maybe what he sees all the time. And then that's sort of a difficulty. But I mean, uh, at the I'd end of the day, Nemeth than Cole, let's say. Well, <laughs> right, just yeah, about think... anyone over Cole right now. Um. But Ryan Graves has six points in 22 games right now, and half of those are empty net points. He's just not producing more than a Patrick Nemeth would, even if if there is more intelligence or more offensive aptitude there. It's not shining through on the point side. Yeah. He's got a Dion Phaneuf shot. Yeah. It's like incredibly hard. Not anywhere close to on that. 
Yeah, where he's gonna take out a teammate with that shot one day. Mavs <laughs> do plenty of that without Ryan Graves. Kendrick is taking about Andre fifteen bucks. Bad ones last night. <laughs> yeah, my car's gonna take him down one of these days. Pretty much. You could see it too after the second one. Kadri was just like, again? <laughs> Come on. Stop hurting me. When you when you play that screen and deflection game, that's the risk you take. Yeah. Just uh just unlucky for Kadri on, on both of those. Like it just catch them in weird spots and it happened earlier in the year too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just silliness. Um so who's been the Bigger disappointment for y'all in the back end. Ian Cole or Eric Johnson? Cole. Both. <laughs> They've both been awful. Um, I, I think I, I think EJ EJ's awfulness is a lot of usage. The fact that he's sort of he's playing against top competition all the time, and you know that that's just. Well, you expect more from EJ, but I'd say in a vacuum, he's been better than Cole. Yeah. But... Right. See, I'm going to agree, agree with that because I, I feel like Eric Johnson does a lot of good things. It's just that his bad things are extraordinarily bad right now. Yeah. I mean, half of EJ's problem is he has no chemistry with Sam Gerrard right now. I mean, none. The two have just have no connection at all. It's awful. Well, they used to, so that's They did, strange. but they don't anymore. Yeah, it's really tough to watch. And I, someone was going through, we all hate plus minus, but someone was, was saying that EJ was on the ice for something like 12 out of the last 15 avalanche goals against or something like that. Which and, does include the penalty kill. It does. Right. And, and I but, think that both those numbers were a lot bigger than that. Yeah, EJ's <laughs> been on for a lot of goals. Yeah. Um, With EJ, I, I don't know if it's, so much a function of current circumstance though because he is getting up there in age he has had many lower body and issues and maybe he's just lost half a step and the IQ's never been the highest so I don't know if it's just merely a funk or having a team full of NHL forwards is going to help. Well, it's going to help, but is it really going to change EJ's game right now? I don't know. I mean, I think that's the biggest issue for me between EJ and Sam. Yes, having forward circle back and support the breakout more would help, particularly Sam Gerrard, a lot because EJ is just not an option for him. When Sam Gerrard is trying to carry out the puck with two heavy four checkers, you'll regularly see EJ standing in front of his own net, just doing nothing. And that's just brutal to watch. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of D to D passes, but that's your safety valve. And if exactly it's not there, then that's really tough. Um, you, you cannot and will not pass in front of your own net. <laughs> I, I, think I think one thing with EJ too is is just the way that the Avs ask their defensemen yeah. to play in front of the net is not something that he's good at, and it's not something that really anyone else on the team is good at. He <laughs> especially, at, though. I, I mean, it's not him especially because Zadorov has similar issues. Um, you know, Sam, I I like the way he uses his stick in front of the net, but he can't clear the crease of. So, you know, that's something that that's just a little bit of a minus for the way he plays in front of the net. 
McCarr's a little bit tentative in front of the net, and and you know he doesn't There's... track the plays quickly as he will probably a, you know a month, a year, two years from it's... now. It's such a different look, though, with those guys because they struggle to clear the crease, but they're engaged with that player. EJ yeah. just floats in no man's land on the back door and ends up not covering the passing lane or honestly not covering anyone. There's regularly and, not a player within 10 feet of him, and it's like, what are you doing there? And Cole and Zadorov are the same way, and, and it just reeks of something that they're being told, like, you be in this area. Yeah, no, I agree. the other guy do, be the chaser and... It's just it. It really feels like a lot of this is systemic, and it would be tough to change it in the middle of the season. But I think they're getting to the point where they really have to, because it's not just five on five. They're struggling this way. The the penalty kill is played very similar, and they're really struggling there now too. Well, Cole too is he has trouble covering guys near the net, especially on the penalty kill. How many yeah, times I mean, do you see someone? get out of his coverage, blow by him, gets turned around, and that usually leads to a goal on the penalty kill. Yeah, I mean, Cole, throughout his career, he's been really, you know, he's one of those guys that was asked to be fairly close to the net, not close to the shooter, and, and just block every shot you can. That's kind of what he's good at, although he's almost better at tipping him past his own goalie at this point, but um, the... The ability to track and recapture the puck just isn't there with Cole. So, you know, maybe maybe Nolan Pratt is sort of forced into uh, playing this style, but it's, you know, it's not working either. I, 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 you know, I've struggled to come up with what could fix this. And the best I can come up with is something different because this isn't working. <laughs> I think the problem with Cole is that he then does high risk things like his him taking the penalties or him trying to go on an adventure or an optimistic pinch or those are the things that I think are the most frustrating with him because it's it's like high risk low reward and <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah like I really do think getting specifically Gabe Landeskog back will help significantly because Landeskog is the one forward they seem to consistently trust to get deep in their own zone, dig pucks out behind, and allow the defenseman a little bit more freedom to step up on people. And right. we've seen the effects of not being able to step up on people. I also think it's why Zadorov has looked more solid because they've said, look, you need to stop stepping up. You need to be a little bit more conservative. And that's helped him. He hasn't made as many dumb decisions. I wonder yeah. if some of that is the cage. Like maybe he's a little bit more hesitant to to step up and try to hit somebody if when he's got that cage. I don't know what it is. That very well could be it. But he should play the exact same way once the cage comes off. I'll tell you that. I agree. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's more that and, and less coaching because Zadorov has never been a particularly receptive guy. He's gonna go play his. That's game. true. Yeah. Um, Usually the cage impacts um, defensemen with the puck. So. Maybe he's trying to do less with the puck, too? I, I mean, Zadorov specifically said he feels like he can't be as physical with it, so... Hmm. And he usually well, plays better when he handles the puck, so... Well, we like him to be physical, because that's what gets him engaged, though. Yeah. Yeah, it, there's a balance there, obviously, but... So the the one name that's escaped any criticism whatsoever here has has been Sam Gerrard, um, and it, I, I, it sounds like all of us kind of feel like he's 
been in this kind of circumstantial position here where he his he's been partnered with Eric Johnson who's been driving the struggle bus um with you know Ian Cole sitting on the roof but like, I mean it's still not good enough no. he he needs to be better at managing the puck and, and making those breakout passes and yes we've talked about they need to support him better but we're talking about events like turning the puck over twice in the matter of a couple of seconds or not making the intelligent play to just get the puck to a safe area right now that's all you need a lot of the time we saw it the other day um the overtime win for the avs where mccarr just passed the puck to the safe spot there wasn't even an ab in the vicinity and it turned into a goal because it wasn't a turnover and sometimes that's all you need right now gerard is just trying too hard to make the perfect play yeah i mean i think it's a tipping point thing because once you get to a certain point of being able to make the you know the pass to a space rather than a guy you know the the safe play that's smart and works out um I, I think you really leverage that quickly, but it's just when you're below that tipping point, you're really going to struggle. And I, I think that's what we're seeing with Gerard and, and many other guys on the abs right now. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a thing that just happens with this team in general, where if things aren't perfect, then we're trying to be the hero. Well, he plays a lot too. He plays the most five on five, even more than EJ some nights. So yeah. When he makes a mistake, it's going to be more obvious and and seem like more just because he's out there more and he handles the puck more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, though, right? No one is complaining about Sam Gerrard's defense. It's been solid, at least as far as what we expect out of Sam Gerrard when the other team has the puck. It's his puck management that's the issue. Right. It's, it's both yeah. on the breakout side of it and on the offensive side of it. He suddenly picked up the patented Eric Johnson shot off the shin pad I- now. I would say definitely not. The Eric Johnson shot off the shin pads happens like three feet in front of him and that goes definitely for a breakaway. Last night to Sam, though. That cleared for a breakaway? Yeah. I don't remember that one. It, that was probably the breakaway that Grubauer saved. Well, yeah. people complain that Sam doesn't shoot enough, so when he shoots enough, then you complain that, that it gets blocked. Well, if, you, if you're not going to get the shot through, I'd rather you not shoot it. Yeah. Well, there's getting it, th- there's blocking it three feet in front of you, and there's blocking it as it gets closer to the net. There's a bunch of them that get blocked, and then they go behind the net. I mean, this is the revelation. You just have to do it because there's no one open. And sure. Getting open is a skill, and some people are just not doing it that well. The- and that goes for your offensive zone, defensive zone, breakouts, neutral zone, whatever. But the revelation that Kale McCarr has had over this Western Canada road trip is oh, they want me to shoot more. I'm just going to walk in and shoot then. I'm not going to throw these things from the blue line. He still does that ton, though. He does, but he does have the head fake. He is extremely good at creating a shooting lane. That Gerard doesn't quite have that ability. And that's fine. We've talked many times about how the Avs should just restructure their system to have Gerard be a distributor, but... Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, Makar's game is just 100% different in the offensive zone from, from what Gerard's skill set is. Um, yep. And, but like, it's, it's it, this is a new thing for Sam, and it makes me think that maybe it's just, just random bullshit that has happened a couple of times in, you know, recently. 
because it's not normal for him to have these these pucks off the shin and out. So yeah, maybe this isn't a new trendy trend. Um, but what y'all just just said about getting open in both the offensive and defensive zone being a skill is uh, going to bring it back to what I think is the biggest factor for the team defense, and that's the injuries to forwards. Yeah. It doesn't help. It's, we saw it brutally uh, last night on the Leafs' fourth goal, I think it was, where it was a combination of both sides of awfulness. Ryan Graves makes a terrible decision to pinch in, and that's bad enough. And then JT Comfer half circles back to be the forward covering back and then goes right back in, and it's like... You can't do that. You're going to give up a breakaway every single time if you just abandon the point. And then it gets made worse because Ian Cole stepped up for no reason. But it, the abs forwards have just been abysmal at covering back for their D with all the injuries that they have. Like Burkowski last night, though. Like My what man. These wheel, what are we that dude's about wheels. <clears throat> He he can get back like Mac can get back. Yeah, um, he 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 can get back like Mac can. I mean, obviously he's not as fast, but he is pretty darn fast, and he's a lot more responsible than I kind of thought he was at at least at the beginning of the season. Like, I I keep seeing progression with him as far as learning the the system and, and you know the things that have been going wrong lately. He is fairly aware of what's going on. Um, and it, it just seems like a lot of a lot of other forwards aren't quite as aware. I still don't know if Bednar sees it that way because he does tend to move Burkowski down quickly. Yeah. What? What the hell? Like, hey, here's there's some decent chemistry between you know Burkowski and McKinnon in the game against Vancouver, and obviously everybody sucked against Minnesota. But so now we're going to go back with Kadri on McKinnon's wing? And three lines of guys? Two and I think half, that maybe. doesn't help either. It's just there's been no consistency with the lines. I can hardly even remember who's been on the line. Yeah. And I, I have to look help. it up every I, I have to look at the shift charts every day to figure out who, who was actually playing with who. And it... So that's not going to help your chemistry and also defensive consistency yeah the especially it gets really brutal with who's playing f3 when you put kadri and mckinnon together because kadri can function as that f3 for the second line but if you don't have kadri down there you're who are you running as the f3 you have belmar and whatever line he's on but other than that donskoy can't play f3 jost no. Not really at a level where he can play F3 yet. Kamenev, I think he's been pretty solid defensively, but not an F3. Nichushkin, definitely not an F3. It's They have a bunch of guys that want to fly the zone, and they're not really syncing up defensively. That's where you miss Gabe Landeskog. That's where you miss Matt yep. Calvert. That's where you miss like all these players who... like e- Even the depth that's getting hurt, that, this is where you miss those guys. I think another tough thing is, all right, over the past, over the injury streak, let's say, you're starting to see, like, five guys get a ton of... And there goes Earl. I'm gone. 
Oh, no? Maybe that was... He was good for me. Yeah, me too. That must have been me. So you're seeing five guys, burgers, and fries? (laughs) I've seen five guys that that get most of the ice time. I mean, last night you had uh, McKinnon, Kadri, and Donskoy all over... You know, in the in the twenty minute range, and a couple guys, Burkowski and Comfer, close, and then there was just a huge gap down in Achushkin, and then a ton of guys that were around ten minutes or less. Well, they haven't been and, playing Kamenev much at all. At all, it doesn't matter who they're not playing. It's it's all the guys they're not playing. Those guys aren't engaged in the game because they're not playing enough, and that you know that goes for Tynan as well as Kamenev. Um, Even though Tynan's it, it's not twice the minutes. Regardless, those guys need to play. They need to play with regular partners and be on a regular line with a role. And when you try to play top-heavy like Bednar's been doing, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you don't trust your bottom six guys because they don't come on and play well when they only play once every ten minutes. And, you know, it's just tough to watch. You just you have to be able to trust them, even though you don't want to. It's It's part of being a coach in the NHL is is getting the guys in the bottom six, regardless of whether you think they're AHLers or they're your prized fourth liners, you get them the minutes, you roll three or at least three lines as much as possible, hopefully four sometimes, um, so you don't burn everyone out. I mean, it looked like the Avs were just totally burnt out in the third period, and it's because all those guys were above 20 minutes already. We, right, we and it's more under- a lot last year. And that's when they had Rantanen and Landeskog, when you could say, okay, well, you're going to use these guys as much as humanly possible because they're clearly your best players. And so, yeah, yeah now they just reach a point of diminishing too. returns at some point, even with I McKinnon. Mean- to a certain extent, that's because of the injuries, though. And while I do have nitpicks, like, yes, they should be playing Kamenev more, you can't play Tynan that much more. You can't play Megna that much more. God knows they don't need to be playing Nachushkin any more than they already are. So, no, but I, think, I, I think you need to get those guys between 10 and 14 minutes. Um, I'm not saying play Tynan more than 10 minutes, but if you're going to play a guy... Play him ten minutes, or you know, find someone you want to play ten minutes. With Kamenev, I agree with you. Finding someone you want to, I agree with you. With Tynan and O'Connor, I think you're just hurting yourself. Well, maybe at this point, more. at least make a third line that you feel with, like playing. With play. what? They're clearly not comfortable calling up any of the prospects, or the prospects are hurt, so they just don't have the pieces right now to well, make when, those lines. When Kamenev scored his goal in Calgary, he was on I a mean, line with comp. <laughs> Right, Kamenev is the one guy that I'm agreeing with you on. He should be playing more, but everyone else, Kamenev alone doesn't solve. Right, I'm saying put the AHLers on the fourth line and at least make a third line. If that's just saying, all right, we're just not going to play those guys more than five minutes, and what does that do for you? I don't think it matters either way. Like, if you play them more, it's going to hurt you just as much as not playing them. So I mean, I'm no, not I, sure it does. I, I, I think burning out the the guys that you actually need to be good. I, I mean, I, I just don't see playing McKinnon 28 minutes as, as a solid strategy. No, I I agree with you that the goal should be to have four. You know, the cliche of rolling four lines through a game, and Bednar always tends to consolidate as 
the game gets deeper. So I agree with that. It's just, yeah, when your options are Magna and Tynan and O'Connor, I, I agree also that you're not, that's not the time when you're going to really stick to your commitment to have a four real line. And and this is a short-term solution. If this continues to drag on and some of these injuries and they thought, then yeah, you're just going to have to take some L's and play the weaker players. But they're on a three-day break. They sounds like Rantanen is pretty close. It sounds like there are a couple other players that are pretty close. They're going to get a lot of those pieces back that allow them to play those lines more shortly. But here's the thing. They just basically invested not eight or nine games into Begna and Tynan. It's just pointless. When you need, yeah, I mean, all, need all they did was find out that they year. weren't, they right. weren't worthy I mean, of playing ten minutes. They were so. who they thought, who we thought they were. Uh, yeah, and I'm with you there. But uh, what? Who are they going to call up instead? Bowers is hurt. Someone else. Cal- I mean, well, made, well, I know. I'm just saying, like, up, if you Cal if you don't hurt. like the guys that if you don't like the guys that you have in your lineup, either they, make well, them better or find someone you like. Um, when they when they made their you, first you can't call be up, top heavy. Cal wasn't hurt when the, Bowers only recently got hurt. So, I mean, they could have been. Right. And I'm with solution. you. If it were up to be, Nick Henry would be on the NHL roster right now. Okay. So I do think they could do a better job of selecting their call-ups. I'm not going to argue that. It's just such a waste. It's, you know, they get called up and everyone says, oh, they're just going to sit around and eat nachos and do nothing. And then all of a sudden, hey, they're in a game. And that happened over and over and over again these last couple of weeks. And it's just disappointing. And then Greer... <laughs> I don't mind them getting called up. up. What I do mind is if, if you, after you know playing them five, six, seven games, are only playing them six minutes, then why are you doing that? You know, you could be finding out you hate someone just as much and only play them six minutes, but at least you know. You know, maybe, maybe the guy you call up instead can handle ten minutes. Maybe. And that would be help the team a lot. But they don't even play Kamenev. And I don't even think that's a little thing. I, I think it's fairly significant because you know he's going to be, the after the AHLers go, he's going to be the next one out of the lineup. Which is a shame because as as decent as Nachushkin is playing, Kamenev's ceiling is just higher. Yeah. And he's done good things. He's scored it's, points. He's scored an important goal in Calgary. It's going to be really frustrating for me when they continue to overplay Nuke because he scored that goal because they were overplaying him. And this is one of those problems that we've seen with Bednar in the past. And I don't want to, I think Bednar has done a very good job of managing this team through injuries, but Nichushkin is not as valuable as the abs seem to think he is. I think Bednar gives the team a ceiling. I agree that he's he's done a really good job with certain things, and I think he does deserve some credit for someone like McCarr taking an even bigger, bigger step than we expected. But I think he does limit this team ultimately. Yeah, I mean, that's just sort of the way he coaches. He suppresses offense and defense at the same time. You know, if that's your, your trademark, I'm fine with it, but um, you know, it's if it's starting a- to affect your better players in a negative way, then then you've got to make some allowances on the trust side. It just feels like it's always going to be up to the top talents to ultimately determine 
where this team goes. And you certainly want it to be up to them, but it always seems like the supporting cast is going to be lacking. I don't I don't think it is when they're healthy, but but nobody's healthy. That's the thing. I don't think right. it's going to be fantastic when everyone's back. It'll certainly help. I mean, god, having Ranton and Skill and Landeskog's defense is going to feel like I, a miracle, but I think this is a team capable of winning the West when they're healthy. So, yeah. Well, after the uh after all of that, before we get to talking you know, around and around in any any circles anymore. Um, we'll just kind of tie this all off by reminding everybody what we said earlier that Callie Rosen was called up to the big team today, and with the with the Avalanche today being Sunday, with the Avalanche having three days off, you got to think that that well, you know, maybe they're thinking about actually putting them in the lineup. I hope so. I the Barbario experiment has been buried three times over. It just hasn't worked for two full seasons now and Rosen was gotten to be a piece for the abs not to be a 24 year old in the AHL they wanted to play him in the NHL I think they should he's been quality in the AHL for a while I'm did I say AHL too many times that doesn't matter they wanted to play Rosen they should play Rosen I hope he plays even if he sucks at least then you know like Earl was saying Definitely. At this point, they should be using Rosen, and pretty soon Timmons as well. We'll see. Usually, their hands forced to try these things. Hopefully, it's not an Eric Johnson injury, but it would be nice if they felt like there were people in the AHL that could help them, not just, we need a body and they could play. That they would actually think like, we have guys with certain skill sets in the AHL, and now, and we're running into a little bit of adversity. Maybe we could use those skill sets. And if that's how they see this Rosen call-up, that would be a big step in the right direction. But we'll see. I would say with Rosen, he hasn't been the greatest defensively, so I don't know if he's going to give you a lot better in that regard, but... Neither certainly anybody he's... else so yeah <laughs> right he's been a point producer so if you're looking for someone to help you move the puck that also is a benefit with him and and like you guys said um you, you have to see what you have in him he's signed for next year he's on a one-way contract he's he's not a prospect really he's he's an asset that you went out and got and you need to see if he can help yeah, I I agree with that. I I think puck moving is where he's going to help the abs the most and you know, the defense, yeah, it's yeah, it's a little shaky sometimes. Um but I I think it's going to sort of flip the tables to the you know, just having two puck movers and four thugs. Um you know, it'll make it three puck movers and three thugs and maybe that works out better in the abs favor as far as the breakouts and, and moving the puck. So I- I guess my argument would be, even if EJ is okay, what is Ryan Graves currently doing that Callie Rosen can't? It might be PK. I don't know. I don't think I, it is. Like, and obviously, you need to see it at the NHL level. Rosen has been extremely versatile historically in the AHL. He played a billion PK minutes when he was in with the Marlies. So, 
Well, Graves isn't your worst penalty killer. Cole is, so it's just, he's not. You know, but or... I'll see Cole out of the lineup when I see it. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. and, that's and what I'm saying. Like, to... if you were gonna, I don't know about bench that. Cole, then <laughs> they they did it's... it once. But I know it's it's the veteran thing. It's really hard to be your worst penalty killer when you're in the penalty box for half of them. Hey, you know what? Th- he does help them that way. <laughs> but they also only scratched Graves once. Yeah. So I mean, with with Kelly Rosen coming in and looking like he's you know maybe going to be looking at being in the lineup, then we do have to wonder if maybe Eric Johnson is injured. Uh, he he did take a light but nasty boarding. Um, from Alex Kerfoot on Saturday, which the apparently the Department of Player Safety has seen fit to have a hearing for. Um, yeah, that that should be fun. But I mean, I don't think I don't think it's going to be that big. I mean, like a lot of people have said, like EJ was sort of falling down at the same time. You don't hit yeah. a guy like that. I don't that was think he'll even nasty on Kerf's part. He should get a stupid penalty, but this wasn't malicious. I I think he could have deserved a major, but yeah. I don't even think he'll get a game. He'll just a fine. Yeah, I, I can see them calling up and being like, look, this is how you kill people. We want this out of the game. Give us a few thousand bucks. Yeah. We've seen some bad boardings lately, too. Like, I think Kadri took one. Nikushkin took one a few weeks ago. Which that they didn't even call. <laughs> should have been a penalty. <laughs> he didn't even get an so... assist. That was the one they took his assist away, too. Uh, yep. It, it was one of those that would have been a third assist. But I guess if they blow in the whistle there, they probably don't score the goal. So I guess that one was karma, but it's just the boarding. It's hilarious. They don't even call it half the time. And then half the time they call it, and then they're going to look at this one for for player safety. It's it's so inconsistent. Yeah. Well, this one was just vi- like visually gross. So I think that's, right, yeah, that's a big Right, because EJ's so big, and he went like a far... <laughs> went like the whole length of the ice behind the net and like ej got up and skated off but he was visibly like managing the symptoms for the rest of that game and like had to talk to the trainer multiple times so it wouldn't surprise me if he does end up missing some time well i I I almost wonder if he took a second injury because when he left later in the game he was limping and he did and i don't i'm not sure if he blocked a shot or what it was but definitely was like a lower body thing so who knows so he may have a body injury at this point. <laughs> yeah. So that that may be where the Rosen call-up is coming from. Um, I had forgotten about that since EJ came back into the game, which is why my first reaction to seeing that was, oh, they're calling him up with no injuries. That's amazing. Just uh, nice they're actually going to give Rosen some practice, which that drives me crazy from time to time. Yeah. They call guys up all the time after 3 o'clock and... Like, okay, I get it. Like, don't pay an extra day if you don't have to. But when a guy comes to practice anyway. with the team <laughs> that you know is going to play, or they don't even it's... get to go on the flight, and then when Connaughton and O'Connor had to go, and they actually didn't even get to Winnipeg because they were leaving from freaking San Antonio. Now, remind me, was that Winnipeg game? Was that a back-to-back, or did they have a whole day to make No, they haven't had any back-to-backs. No, they had two days off before that decision. And also, the the way that the Thanksgiving break usually works in the AHL is the players in the AHL get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, come back and on Wednesday night, practice Thursday, and then play on the weekend. So maybe the Eagles were totally off, so this is a way for him to, to stay in practice as well. Yeah, Which is good. I'm, so at least 
at least they're seeing value in that. But like even with with O'Connor, they knew he was going to play the next game, and they still didn't practice. It's like, well, that could have had value, but guess not. Because do they play <laughs> the exact same system in both teams? That's the modern uh, way. In theory, I think Cronin's try. trying to get yeah. away from it. <laughs> tell you something that the eagles are trying that i hope that they might look at for the abs is they've gone to a two defenseman power play and I still don't want it but i'll take anything if it means getting not, rid of the friggin bumper i don't think the abs yeah. have enough highly skilled offensive defenders to pull that off like you saw toronto do they that could if they called up the right Perry. ones <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, well, I, I, I'm not really saying for this year. I'm, I'm saying this is something they might be trying out for next year if they, yeah, you know, if they have Rosen. I just, I think it's crazy that it's seen Byron as like and, this revolutionary idea to have two defensemen on a power play. Like, it is. I mean, it, a, a one defenseman <laughs> power play has been the norm for about ten years, um, and longer in many cases. So. I don't know. Uh, people, AHL, the fact that people are strategically looking at rod. going back to a two defenseman power play, you know, it, it it says that there might be something there. Like, uh, you know, looking at the Leafs power play last night, they were with a two D power play. I think. Well, right. Like when you have when you have that kind of talent, you should use it. Yeah. If if you're forcing a two D power play just to use like EJ on it, then no. But. Especially if you have Rosen up, you're going to need to think about it too because that's like half his value. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not really thinking. Is. I'm not really thinking about using it this year. I'm thinking about it's something that the Eagles are trying out for for the Avs next year. I just don't see it as weird because I see it all the time in college and junior in the AHL. To me, it's not like wow, two D on a power play. It's like haven't seen that since the '80s. Like to me, it's it's normal. <laughs> Like the the ones that are weird is the no D power play or the three D power play, which those are like out of the box. Aren't but all power plays three D. <laughs> Unless you're Kale McCarr, then you're working with four D sometimes. But you hate to make um, speculations about stuff like this. Um, but, but with uh, with Jason Magna's been sent back down. And AJ Greer has been sent back down. I mean, if you didn't notice, he was called up. Don't worry about it. He was a press box hero. <laughs> but Miko Rantan has been back on the ice skating. Bednar said he might return this week. Colorado are off till Friday, which is a late home game. So no Wednesday. They're they're playing the Oilers on Wednesday. What what day did I say? Friday. Friday. The hell? I didn't mean Friday. <laughs> So do we finally start getting some forward talent back? Is that the day that we I, see Miko? I think it's possible we see Miko, yeah. And I think, yeah, we can see him on Wednesday. I, I think if not Wednesday, definitely by the weekend. Yeah, I think that's fair. The others, I don't know. Now, Wilson's been skating, but he hasn't practiced. If he does practice this week, it's possible. It just, just really depends who practices. Calvert hasn't been on the ice yet. I heard someone said there's a decent chance Calvert could be back on the weekend. So maybe like that second game against yeah. Chicago. He doesn't have a concussion, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's right. just in protocol. Just, Hasn't been diagnosed. Uh, just has to pass a few more tests, you know. It's just an upper body. And, and also last week, Jared Bednar said that uh, Gabe Landeskog was going to see the doctor again tomorrow, which would be Monday, 
and was that four weeks? Maybe four yeah. weeks. And we'll, we'll see if he starts skating or, or what the regime is. Uh, I mean, the thing with Landy, we don't actually know. We're pretty sure it's a broken foot, and if it's like a stress fac- fracture or something, you can't really do anything with it until it's fully healed. Yeah, because like you'll just immediately make it worse if you try. So I think with him, once he is cleared and he's back on skates, I think it could go quickly for him. Like Miko's right. actually, he's been skating for two weeks. Yeah. You know what was fun about Landeskog um, was the, the uh, NHL just shared one of like a, I think this was yesterday a, a photo of that Gabe took maybe with his with his daughter or something. I don't really remember what exactly it was, but it was cropped from like mid thigh up, and about half of the responses <laughs> were. Show the rest of the photos so we can see if he's still in a boot. <laughs> they know exactly what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> so let's exclude Kale McCarr because he got his whole segment and do stars and scratches. Andre Burakovsky, easily. Second. The dude's on what, like a 35 goal pace now? It was close to 40 at one point, and he's quickly become exactly what the abs hoped he was right now he, there's a possibility that once the abs get healthy he could continue to be an option on the top line but certainly he's proven himself to be a top six player yeah that shooting percentage will probably come down a little bit but honestly i don't think it's going to come down that much he's a really good shooter yeah that shot is just fantastic to watch i mean it, <laughs> it's it, it's probably better than McKinnon's. Um, you know, he might have the best shot on the team. I mean, I'll concur with that. He's had what, six goals in the last four games, or something like that. He he doesn't tend to score one. Yeah, yeah. He, I, he might be a streaky player. I think because he did disappear for a couple weeks there, and I do yeah, that, have concerns with his usage. Because now, other than this week, he definitely he's had minutes this week. But even before this week, when there was all the injuries, he wasn't getting a big ton of ice time. So I w- worry that he'd be someone that gets is the first guy that gets moved down, like I mentioned earlier. I, but I think that's more Bednar managing the injuries, to be honest with you. But we'll see. Yeah, we all called it a, a demotion, and then it worked really well, and we went, we were like, oh, well, maybe we're just trying to not have I mean, they had him on the and guys. Line. Yeah. They've had him on the fourth line, so that's... <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to argue spreading out the talent, but that's, that's more than spreading out the talent. But I agree, he deserves a star for the week. Next. Okay. I'm going to give one to Adam Werner. <laughs> just, I, I know he looked awful in his first official start, which his parents flew in from Sweden and watched him get killed. Yeah, oof. But that that game against the Jets, um, you know, I know the Jets weren't probably at the top of their game, but he still saved 40 NHL shots and wasn't expecting to start that day, probably wasn't expecting to start in the NHL at all in his time up here. Um, so, you know, that, that's a really good performance. Um, I, I, I think the abs have something they can work with. He's still really inconsistent. Like he's got this thing now where he plays an amazing game. And then the next game they put him in it. Whoa. And 
they got to get rid of that second game badness. <laughs> I'd say Fransu's looked pretty good after his issues, concussion, yeah. whatever. He looked pretty good in relief yesterday. I mean, that was all score effects, but sure. Well, he only faced three shots in the second period. Yeah. He, he, he definitely faced... made some saves in the third period, though. He faced fewer yeah. shots in in 40 minutes than Grubauer did in 20. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, yeah, to be honest, just kind of give the whole start to goaltending in general, right? The Avs don't go three and two on the trip without quality goaltending. Yeah, I can Except yeah. Bebo. We don't like him. I mean, even Bebo. He did, a, he did enough to win. He gave up four goals, but yeah, he did enough to win. He only I gave mean, up two goals before the We didn't even talk about the voodoo of the Bebo situation, but yeah, I mean, maybe probably it's best left unsaid. Too. Yeah, there's nothing really to say there. Maybe that's a 2A topic. <laughs> Just, you know, the whole merit thing, but... I'll, I'll go with a star for the goaltending. There, there are yeah. various things, and, and we were all definitely happy to see Gruby back, except for last night. Except for last night. <laughs> <laughs> How about Zadorov? He came back. He's been solid. Yeah, he's he's been like the the one good non outstanding defender. Yep. So there you he go. He deserves it. Got a point in his first game back too. So. And then I'll I'll be an asshole and throw a star to Tyson Berry because he looks good again. Yeah, I put him in my three standouts after that game. So fair. <laughs> <laughs> Just be happy for his wallet. He spent like he was spending so much money as the season got started. So hopefully he can really pick it back up and, and make some of that money back. And then his agent can say, no, nah, look, that was Babcock, dude. Yeah, I should sue Mike Babcock for about <laughs> 10 mil on that one. <laughs> so we we definitely spent a lot of time on scratching defenders. So if you if you have something to repeat, hey, that's... let's try to just kind of say it and move on. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... I think other than Makar and Sam sometimes, and maybe a little bit of Z, then the rest of it is. So Ian Cole's the gimme. He's the yeah. one you said the most about. Yeah. EJ, Graves, probably. Just, yeah, give one to each. They all deserve it. Cannot. <laughs> <laughs> and then the asshole scratch goes to the NHL officiating, which remains random. Yeah. It's so bad this year, man. Like, what in the world? Coming up the next two weeks, we're still playing three games a week, which is nice, I gotta say. This is a good pace. It's about to get crunchy, though. Two traveling backs-to-back. We'll start on Wednesday at home at 8 o'clock Mountain, because it's Wednesday. A rematch with the Edmonton Oilers. We'll see how an NHL goalie fares. Black Friday afternoon sees Colorado and Chicago to take on the disappointing Blackhawks. That's a two-mountain puck drop. And it's a home-and-home, home, so we get to watch a sludge game at home between the same teams on Saturday. Okay. Fun. After another three-day break, it's back out east. The Avalanche start December in Toronto on Wednesday against these same Leafs. Then they travel to Montreal for a back-to-back against a Habs team that will have had a day of rest since their last home game. This is a scheduling shenanigan. But at least it's good news for Earl's second-favorite team. <laughs> Finally, on Saturday, the Avs are in Boston to visit the Bruins. We have three days off, three games in four days. Three days off again, three games in four days again. Predict me an outcome. Go. I predict the NHL fires their scheduler. 
Um, <laughs> it's so hard to predict because it depends on how healthy the Avs are. I think they'll want the revenge game against Edmonton. I'll yeah. give them that. I'll give yeah. them the split on the home and home because when you play a team twice, that's kind of just what happens. Let's the see. away away is going to be brutal. Here's the thing. We've, we're playing three teams this week for the second time in a very close time span. So you can yep. count on f- 500 against Chicago, a win against Edmonton, and a win against Toronto. See, the Toronto game's the one that scares me. Yeah. <laughs> because now that Babcock's gone, it's that team is just going to start pouring pucks into the net, Although, I think. See, they haven't been back to deal with the media since Babcock got fired, so we all know how fun the media is in Toronto, so maybe that just puts them back in their well, drudgery. When they're scoring six goals a game, the media right. is fun. So What I've been saying is that they won't win. They won't lose again this month. Um <clears throat> Colorado come to town on December fourth? Question mark. So maybe there you go. You can't win every game. Yeah, I, I think the Habs game is going to be fun because the Habs play it's a very chaotic for style. You. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just Habs, I, I they like me, playing a chaotic style, and so do the Habs. So I think that I I don't I don't know one way or the other how that's going to turn out, but I you know I think the Habs are a pretty good shot. It'll be a rested yeah. team against a, a tired team who are going to skate each other up and down the ice. So you better hope Colorado will have at least a three-goal lead after two. Chicago will be interesting. I haven't seen them yet this year. And obviously the Avs haven't played them. But the no defense, all skills style seems to be carrying forward with them. So usually those are entertaining games, but... Could be high scoring. Pack the can. I think they always beat Boston, so they're really good though now. Like really good. Yeah, usually better than the abs, so (laughs) (laughs) I say six what six points half. I think they'll continue on that pace. I predicted eight last week and they let me down, so I'm gonna go with eight again. I was gonna say eight. All right, so was I. I'll be the optimist. I'll say 10, I think, cool, that second. Cool, there you go. The second three-day break, I think, will be big for them. They'll be able to certainly get Ranton back in December, and they should basically be back to 100% health, except for Landeskog at that point. And Toronto, when they're healthy, is certainly a team that they can go punch for punch with, even if they are scoring a lot. Montreal is a team that, if the Avs do want to contend for the Wests, they should beat. As Earl said, the Avs always play Boston well. So, so after all that hate on the defense, we're going to go take on the Edmonton Oilers again, and then Toronto and Montreal and Boston, and we're all feeling good about it. Yeah, because we're going to outscore our problem. How many times can McDavid score six points on you? Let's find yeah. out, I guess. <laughs> Well, do you really want to find out the answer to that question? See, I've got a few simple rules I live my life by, and one of them is don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. But I like that. But if we do find out the answer to that, you know, you'll find out here on SoundCloud, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play. All of it is Burgundy Radio. You can find us on burgundyreview.com. We are in their Discord all day long. And 
You can find me at Burgundy Radio on Twitter. We will be off next week, and we will be back the following week. Make sure you stuff your faces with all the Thanksgiving food you can, and if you're in Canada, you better do the same in solidarity, or I'll come find you. Keep your head up, get to the dirty areas, and we will see you next time. Um, I think we should have a dedicated Makar section because we do. Okay. <laughs> I I I mean, if he had had one more outstanding game, we would have already had our second the Kale Makar episode. Because <laughs> I've already got one called the first Kale Makar episode. <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember that. Kind of knew this was going to happen, so like everyone else did, obviously. So I. Just, Kind of thought, well, we were going to have the second Kale McCarr episode, and then he didn't single-handedly bring the Az back on Saturday, so I'll just, I'm just going to call this one, How Does This Affect the Leafs, instead. <laughs> Lol.